that do not know me, my name is Craig Hensley, and I am, uh, my home is in Laverne, California, and my home is actually also here. I grew up in Lawrence, and I can remember the, what we call at the time, the May meeting when I was a kid, a long time ago because of the gray hair. Um, it was so exciting because we had it at the American Legion building. I always called it the Foreign Legion building because I, I thought it was funny. Um, it was always exciting because there were different people there, and we were at a different place, and uh, I'm excited today. My topic is free will, and like most of you, I like most things that are free, so I'm very excited about my topic. <laughs> we'll start out. There will not be a test on this. <laughs> you can eat this one. Not my favorite, but you can eat this one. You can eat this one, and this one, and this one, but you can't eat this one. If you eat this one, you're going to die. That is essentially the choice that Adam and Eve had in the garden. And they had a decision. Am I going to eat the ones I'm supposed to be able to eat, or am I going to test the one that I was told not to eat. That is essentially the choice that they had. Now, I would like you to uh, make believe, imagine for a moment, that you are, you're the king. It's fun to imagine you're the king sometimes. You're the king. And um, as king, you're very popular. Uh, as king, you're, you're wealthy. Um, people like you. You have had a relationship with God that has been very strong. You've seen God act in your life, and uh, it's been very evident that God was in your life. And for the most part, you've attempted to respect God with the way that you lived your life. But one day you're out on the balcony, and those of you who are female, you're gonna have to go along with this, and you see a, a, a fine-looking uh, female that's bathing there. And you understand, as king, I shouldn't be interested in that at all. You understand as being a man that has trusted in God that that's not something I should do. You understand that it's against the law that was given. You understand that, but you're king, and you can do whatever you want to do, right? So you choose to do the wrong thing. But in that particular situation, there was a choice between doing what is right and doing what you were told not to do and you should have known. Now consider, and this is a fun one, uh, consider that you have been following Jesus around for about two or three years. And you have, you, you've heard all the things that he has said. And it's one of the reasons that you started to follow him, because the things that he said were uh, amazing. And it really made you think. You've seen him do miracles, and you, you, you've seen that this guy can do things that no human could do. You're actually convinced that he is the Son of God, the Messiah that was sent to this earth. You're convinced of that. But he tells you, I'm going to be dying tomorrow, and before the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And here's how you're going to deny me. Somebody's going to come up to you and say, do you know that man? And you're going to say no. You have a choice. Your choice is to say, well, I would just never do that. 
But after that, you have a choice. And that's the choice that Peter had. And we know what his response was, is that, is that he did deny Jesus three times before the morning came. One more. Now consider that you are a member of the church in the first few months since the church was established on the day of Pentecost. And your life has been pretty successful. You have, uh, you, you're somewhat wealthy. Uh, you, you, ha you have some influence because of the money that you have. But you're really interested in this Jesus. You want to know more about it. Now, you know that what's been asked, since you are in the area and you have some, you have some wealth, can those are the area that have some wealth give to those that are from other areas and those don't have so they can, they can stay around a little bit longer. So you have the choice, am I going to do that, and am I going to be honest about doing that? And that was essentially the choice that Ananias and Sapphira had. It didn't end well for them at all. So free will, in each of those cases, they had the free will decision to make. Am I going to do what God wants me to do? Or am I going to do what I want to do? Am I going to do my will? And here's an absolute truth. This is an absolute truth about errors that, we, that occur in our lives. The source of all, I would say all, the source of all of our spiritual failure is following the wrong will. Now, it may be our will that we follow. It may be someone else's will that we follow. But it is following the wrong will. Because if we follow the will of God, we will be successful. So I think it's important for us to understand what will is. So I'm going to give you what my definition is for the purposes of, of the message that I want to provide to you today. It's the ability to make a decision freely without being forced. Now, sometimes you might make a decision, you feel forced into that decision. But it's the ability to make a decision freely without being forced. It's having control over your own actions. And I think that a synonym of that is liberty, having the ability to make the decision that you want to make. And I believe that God gives us that ability. Now, I also want to be very clear. God has ultimate power. If God chooses to make us do something, God has the ability to do that. He certainly has the ability to do that. After all, he created everything. He has the ability to do that. I have no doubt in my mind that God provides for us. I have no doubt in my mind that God answers prayer in his way. And I have no doubt in my mind that God, to those that are baptized, provides the spirit that provides us comfort and provides us direction and provides us so much more. So in this, when we think about the idea of free will and the choices we might make, we need to keep in mind that God can do what he wants to do. We need to think about what God does as we make this decision in our life. I'd like to start out with what I would like to uh, call the perfect parental parallel. Um, I've been a parent. I have four children. Um, I wouldn't, Riley might say that I'm the perfect parent. <laughs> when, it's when, his, when, when allowance time is coming around or he wants something, but um, no, I'm not. Like, not like, like none of us are the perfect parent. But as parents, those that either have been parents or we've had parents, one of the things that I think that is a constant among parents that do a good job about good parents, and, and if, you, if you had good parents, I think you will be able to understand this. An effective parent, once their 
children to be successful. An effective Christian parent wants their children to be successful spiritually, but they want their child to be successful in making good decisions. And I think a good parent understands that I need to train that child to make good decisions and not make those decisions for that child because at some point I'm not going to be around and they need to know how to make decisions. So as parents, oftentimes it's tempting for us to force behavior. And obviously the younger they are, the more we force that behavior. But I think the good parents understand that you need to get to the point where you train your children to make good decisions so you don't have to be in the position of forcing them to do those things. Now clearly, there's the uh, act of discipline, and that might be after decision is made. Sometimes, especially as children are younger and they've not matured yet, uh, th that act of discipline may be forcing a decision, but as children grow, a good parent understands they cannot continue to make those decisions for their children, or they really won't be successful at all. There's a story that Jesus told that is probably one of my favorite parables that Jesus told, and I know we're all familiar with that. Some people call it the uh, parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. I like to call it the parable of the loving father because that parable is so much about two people. It is so much about that son and that father, and we should not forget how important the part of the father is in this particular story. Now, I think there's some things that we can learn in just comparing that to our human relationships. And uh, the first is that the son knew that his father, the father was wealthy, by the way. The father had, had much. The son knew that the father had much, and he at some point he was going to gain an inheritance. He asked his father for that inheritance. So from the very beginning when he does that, clearly we understand that the, uh, that the son had not learned the humbleness that he needed to learn, because that was the situation he was in. You have to be pretty much humble to not ask your father for something that you really don't deserve yet. And we want to ask ourselves, and I, I have asked myself this before, why in the world would the father go ahead and give him that inheritance? The father could say, forget that. It's not time for that yet. I'm still around. I'm going to be around here for a while, so you don't get anything. But he didn't say that. I think we should pay real close attention to this story and, and why he didn't, because I think that father, as we understand, is God. And this parable is explaining the way that God deals with us. Now, I have to assume, because of who the father is supposed to be, that the father didn't think much of the idea. I can't imagine that the father thought it was a good idea. But yet, I think the father provided that inheritance to his son because he knew the only way for his son to be successful, the only way for his son to be able to make positive decisions in his life was if he allowed him to go ahead and do that. And this son was not wise at all. He, he went off and he, he wasted it all in living a terrible life. And he got to the point in his life where he had nothing. He had hit rock bottom. You couldn't get any farther down. And that humbled him. Now, he should have been humbled way before that. There's absolutely no question. He should have been humbled way before that. But yet, he was finally humbled, and he went back to his father. From his perspective, he thought, well, at least it would be better than what I have. And I certainly I understand that he was right. And I think that's the reason the son came back. It wasn't just because he wouldn't be starving. He realized his father was right. So now let's think about the response of the father, which I think, to me, is the most important part of this story. How common would it be if this happened to us in human life for a parent to be mad when the child came back? 
that wouldn't have been, in human terms, that wouldn't have been unreasonable at all for the, for, the, for the father to be mad. Well, you know what? You just got what you deserved. But that wasn't his response. It wasn't his response at all. Now, I'm sure that the father was excited when the son came back. Clearly, he was excited. But I think the reason that he rejoiced was he realized that his son had learned whose will was correct. And I believe that's the way that it is with God. We certainly have free will, but the will of God is the will that we need to reach for. The will of God is the will that will make us successful. So my brother Ed is here today. I'm glad he is. So Ed and I, in the, in the lottery of life, I'm not supporting gambling, but in the lottery of life, Ed, Ed and I, uh, we actually we hit the jackpot. We had fantastic parents. We were, and I know many of you had fantastic parents. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my mom specifically because this story that I'm going to tell, and this is, this is not going to make me look good, by the way. Just I'm going to let you know ahead of time. This is not make me look good. <laughs> my mom had a, well, they say the sixth sense. She had like a tenth sense of knowing when I was up to something before I even did it. And I don't really know how she did that. Although, as I became a parent, I started to realize, hey, that's how she did it. Um, <laughs> anyway, she also had... Um, a fantastic sense of allowing me to learn from my mistakes. And both my father and my mother uh, were very good at knowing when to give advice, when to give correction, and when to be silent. You know, and that's, when, you, when you really boil it down, that's, that's, that's what a good parent is all about. Knowing, that, not that we don't make mistakes as parents, but knowing what's best for the child, and what's best for the child may not be what they want. And I think God our Father is the same way. He knows what's best for us. And that's, any rule that we have, any commandment we have, we have because God has given that to us because it's good for us. Not that he's just sitting there going, well, I can make him do this. That's not, that's not the way God is like at all. So here's the part that's a little bit embarrassing to me. So when I was probably 13 or 14, um, there's a girl that lived down the street, and I had a big crush on her, Laura Faulkner. She was, she was something else. She was a year older than I was, and after school, uh, most days, uh, we... we She'd come down and we'd shoot baskets until dinner time. And I probably thought a lot more of her than she thought of me. But anyway, one day, she uh, asked if, if, um, if we could if she, go with her. We could ride over to the cemetery across town, uh, maybe a mile and a half or so, maybe two miles, um, and put um, flowers at her grandmother's grave. So I thought to myself, well, there's no way mom could say no to this, right? So I went and asked mom, and she said no. Keep in mind, this is Laura. That we're talking about here. So I thought to myself, I said, well, you know what? I'm going to come up with this elaborate scheme. And I came up with an elaborate scheme where I was going to do that and make my mom think, you can see where we're going here, right? <laughs> it's not going to end well. Um, make my mom think I'm doing something else. So, I, and by the way, other than the disobedient part, the whole thing was, it was innocent as can be. We just rode over there, we rode back, you know, and I walked into the house, and keep in mind, I kind of figured, I don't think mom's going to know what I did, but if she did know what I did, I'll take the punishment. I had a crush on this girl, so it's worth whatever punishment she could, whatever punishment she could lay out to me, I was, I was willing to pay the price. So I walk into the house immediately. That's the first thing she did. So she went over there anyway, didn't you? Now, I was, I'm not saying I'm the smartest person in the world, but I thought I was pretty smart. I, I thought to myself, you know what? I've already broken one rule, so I'm going to be honest, and maybe she'll go easy on me, right? So um, 
I said, yeah, I did. And I, I'm, I'm sorry I broke your rule. But hey, we did, it was, it was innocent as could be. I did, I did get grounded. But you know, there's one thing that I had not calculated. You know, at 13 or 14, uh, you think you're really smart. Um, and I thought maybe she'd be mad at me. And I wish she would have been mad at me. I, I can't remember her raising her voice or yelling other than the fact you're grounded. You know, it wasn't even a yell. I'd forgotten that the one thing worse than a parent being mad is a parent disappointed. She was disappointed in me. And this is 40 years ago, and I still remember it. So you know that that affected me, right? <laughs> She's not even alive anymore, and it still bothers me because she was disappointed in me. And you know, what really happened is she had her will, and she had the right as the parent to establish her will. Her, she set the rules. My will was different, but I'm not the one that got to set the rules. So I had the free will choice to make the decision that I made, and I made it, but it was the wrong choice. So many times I think that, that Christians, and we probably fall in this category sometimes, we look at God as being the God that's just mad. He's going to be mad if we do something wrong. Maybe. There's examples in the Bible where God was mad. But I think we need to look at God in the way of, like my mom, that was disappointed. The disappointed, the concerned. You know, the parable of the loving father, I think that's what the, what the emotion of the father was. And when you want to please that person, aren't you more effective when they're disappointed? So when we don't make the decisions in life that we should make, I think we need to look at it that way. God is disappointed. Do we really want to disappoint God? I don't think any of us want to disappoint God. You know, I had the example there of choosing my will over my mom's will, and it was a bad decision. When we choose our will over God's will, it is even a much worse decision. We need to realize what the right road is. And the right road is choosing to do God's will. Jesus said in John the 7th chapter in the 17th verse, if anyone chooses to do God's will, so it's a choice. Jesus make it very clear that it's a choice in talking to his uh, disciples there. He will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Here's the truth. If we are not doing God's will, we're on the wrong road. If we're not doing God's will, we're on the wrong path, no matter what. No matter what we want to do, no matter what we think we should do, we're on the wrong path if we're not doing God's will. And if we seek to do his will and we do it, we're going to know that we're correct. And if we're doing God's will, no matter what, we will always be correct. And it feels good to be correct. In 1 Corinthians, uh, there are a couple different passages that are very similar to each other that get into this idea of, I think, what free will really is for us as Christians. In the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians and the 12th verse, it says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. So in the fifth and sixth chapters of 1 Corinthians, the topic is generally sexual immorality. Now, it's, it's much more than that, but, but generally the topic is sexual immorality. And the message is a message of caution. And not caution like, be careful if you're going to be involved in sexual immorality. That's not, not a kind of caution at all. Um, it's be cautious because this is the type of behavior that can get you in the wrong direction. And it's certainly not the will of God. And it seems to me the point here is that there may not be a law on every type of sexual immorality that you can get involved in. There may not be a law that says you can't do this. It's not about a checklist. So there may not be a law that specifically says you can't do that. But the issue here is that, is that I will not be mastered by anything. You know, there are many sins, sexual immorality is one of them, where being involved 
in that sin is something that masters you. Now, that's a sin that maybe it's because of emotion, maybe it's because of addiction, maybe it's because of, of whatever else it might be, but it's the type of sin that can master people. And we've probably seen people in our lives that have fallen into that category. They get involved in, in, in a situation and it just masters them. It takes them over. And there are many other types of addictive type of things that are, are very similar to that. So we may have the right to do whatever we want to do with our free will, but we don't want to be mastered by sin. And God leads us in a way where we will not be mastered by sin. Down in the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, there's a very similar verse. It's almost exactly the same, but it's a little bit different. It says, everything, this is, I'm sorry, the, the 10th chapter and the 23rd verse of 1 Corinthians. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. I'm going to stop there for a second. Everything is permissible. You can do whatever you want to do, but not everything is beneficial. It's not necessarily good for you. Just because you have the right to make a decision and you have free will doesn't mean that it's a good choice. In fact, it might be a very dangerous choice. But then it goes on, everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. So first we have the idea there that I will not be mastered, and this is constructive. Not everything is constructive. Now the general topic in the chapter here, in the 10th chapter, is food sacrifice to idols. And I think the point is that many people are going to take this in a different way. I think Paul's writing to the church at Corinth saying many people are going to take this topic in different ways. I'm, I'm suggesting that you have caution um, because you shouldn't be doing things that make other people weak. You shouldn't do things that make other people stumble. So it might be good for you, but consider how it affects other people. Is the choice that you make constructive? And as we make free will choices in our life, that's something we should definitely think about. Is the thing I'm going to do constructive? All this ties into what I think is uh, probably the best definition in the Bible for sin, and that comes from James, the fourth chapter. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Now, I think that's the best definition for sin, but I also think that if we start to meditate on this, I think we should, it's a little bit scary, isn't it? Wouldn't we rather, some, as humans, wouldn't we rather, can't, God, can't you just tell me exactly what I need to do, and I'll make sure I do that, and, and then everything will be just fine. If we think about what this, what this is really saying, the advice this is really giving, and I think the teaching this is really given, it's basically saying is that you need to find out what God's will is. God's will is good. You need to find out what God's will is. You need to do it. And if you don't, it's sin. So the reality now we get to see what this is really saying is that you might have the free will to do whatever you want to do, but your free will doesn't really matter if it's different than God's will. So if you make your will the same as God's will, you'll be doing the right thing. You know, I think that any discussion of free will probably would not be complete, at least in my mind, without um, us considering things that we should be aware of, things that we need to be aware of. And the idea here is sometimes, and I think Christians do this, um, making up our own rules. So, you know the Pharisees? You read, the, you read about the Pharisees in the Bible, and um, they seem like the bad guys, right? It's almost like the Western movie where the, the bad guy, you know the bad guy because he's got what? A black, he's got a black hat on. Almost, sometimes you might read about the Pharisees and say, oh, they're the bad guys. But I want you to consider something about the Pharisees in the Bible. And I think this is for the most part true. There may have been some, some that were not in this category. But for the most part, the Pharisees were religious people. They were people that desired to serve God. They were people that, that looked to God and felt that they were serving. They felt the decisions they were making were the decisions that, that, that God had for them. 
Now, they were wrong about that, but you, I don't think you can say that they weren't sincere. Actually, Saul, who was later Paul, makes that point. He said, I was very zealous. The point there really is, is, is I was zealous for doing what I thought was right, and then I realized that wasn't right at all. What Paul understood was that before he was following his will, but when he was converted, he started following God's will. And that's a good message. In um, Mark, the seventh chapter, this is Jesus speaking to his, um, his followers. And, um, and not his followers. Actually, this is Jesus speaking to those, those that were Pharisees. And he outlines the problem that Pharisees had. It says, you have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. All right, so I'm going to stop there for one second. The commandments of God, that would be God's will. The traditions of men, that would be a free will choice that humans make that is not God's will, all right? And that what he tells them they were doing is he's saying that you know that the law said, honor your father and mother. No one could have said that, well, the law didn't say that, right? The law is in black and white, basically. Honor your father and mother. But he tells them, but you've come up with a way to get out of that. You say, well, I know my father and mother need assistance, but the money that would normally go to them, that's been devoted to God. So God, you wouldn't want me to not give this to God, right? It's devoted to God, so I can't really help them. And what Jesus basically says to them is that they're violating the law by putting their own will in the place of what God's will is. Now think about that. Sometimes do we do that as Christians. People who have the desire to serve God, people who are, who are focused on trying to serve, but we get a little bit caught up with saying, you know, that's something that's really good. That, that, if that's not a requirement of God, it's a really good requirement, so we can make it like it's God's requirement, and then everything's fine, right? In a sense, that's kind of what the Pharisees were doing. They were saying, well, it's, it's right to give, to give the money dedicated to, to the Lord, right? That's the right thing to do, isn't it? It wasn't like it was a bad thing. It wasn't like they were often doing evil, except for they were missing the point because they put their desires and their will at the same level or above God's will. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, it talks um, about generally what I would classify um, as the, basically the mind of man versus the mind of God. And once again, this is another example of the mind of man being a choice that we might make, a free will choice that we might make, and the mind of God being God's will. Jesus told his disciples that he was, and this is a, 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 sometime before he was actually crucified, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die, and then in three days he was going to raise. And, you know, I talked about Peter earlier, and I think I'm going to talk about him later in a few moments, but I, I really like Peter. Peter's one of my favorite people in the Bible. He's kind of impetuous. Um, maybe I see a little bit of me in him. Hopefully I wouldn't do this. But, um, but I, Peter, he was sincere. You know what it says? That Jesus says this, and what it says about Peter says, Peter, uh, this is great, Peter loving him said that will never happen to you. What's wrong with that, right? Well, Jesus, that could never happen to you. That's not going to happen. Even though you just said it, even though I've seen you do all kinds of miracles and give all kinds of fantastic teaching, that could, that's not going to happen to you. Jesus said to him, and I think probably to make a point, he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. You know when I talked earlier about my mom being disappointed in me? I've got to think that's exactly how Peter felt when Jesus said that. He had to be completely disappointed. I meant well, but it really wasn't the right thing. So let's be cautious as Christians when we mean well, and we're really using that as an example to do our will 
rather than God's will. Because Peter, was, Peter, Peter honestly was sincere about trying to do that. In that same chapter, Matthew, uh, the 16th chapter, down a few verses, this is verses 24 through 26, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And then one of my favorite verses in Matthew, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Our soul is valuable. It's absolutely valuable. I remember one time, I, um, Dad had gone to visit somebody that had uh, been a, a church attender for many years and then had fallen by the wayside and gotten into a life that wasn't very positive. And you know, I, was, I was younger then. Maybe I learned the lesson, of, of the Laura lesson after that. I mean, it was after that, I think. But um, I asked him, so, so what did you say to them? Um, and, and my dad said, I told him that we value his soul. That's great advice. We have to value the soul that we have. And as we go through our life and we make decisions, we've been given the right to make whatever decision we want by God. And I see that to be a blessing. I think free will is an absolute blessing because it allows us to glorify God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But let's not forget how valuable our soul is. So we need to fervently seek God's will, um, and we need to realize that it's about our soul. I'd like to wind things up by asking you one more question about the fruit, all right? Remember what, was it about this one, right? That's right, this is the one you can't eat. So, this actually, if you look, look at, I picked this one specifically, this looks, this looks good, doesn't it? Unless you, if you don't like bananas, you already know, but let's make believe you don't know what it tastes like. Um, this looks good, it's different than all the rest, it's really interesting. And what if somebody that you really didn't trust, somebody that acted like they didn't know anything, um, said, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if you can eat it or not, but uh, it doesn't look good to me, so don't eat it. We might go ahead and eat it anyway, right? Well, the, what do they know? Now consider this. What if a doctor or a scientist that specializes in fruit says to you, this is poison. If you take one bite of this, it's poison. You're going to die if you take one bite of it. What would you do? If you were convinced that person knew what they were talking about, what would you do? You wouldn't eat it, right? If you were convinced they knew what they were talking about and you would die, who, who would eat poison? That'd be crazy. Do we look at God in the same way? And I don't want to blame Adam and Eve, necessarily. They, they certainly made the wrong decision. So I'm not here to, to bash on them. We, all of us made them exactly the same thing. But my point is, is that if we're convinced that God has authority and God has power and salvation has been provided for all of us, would we do something that he told us not to do when we consider he's the authority? Well, I don't think we would. Now think about... The second story I told earlier, it's a story that's like the story of David with uh, his sin with Bathsheba. Let's consider the idea of we get caught up in our own power, our own position, our own authority, no matter what it might be, and we start thinking that we're pretty special, right? Now, that might be easy to do when we compare ourselves to other people. It's not a good thing to do, by the way, but it might be easier when we compare ourselves to other people, right? But what if we were comparing ourselves to the one that created the entire universe and everything that we can see, everything that's in it, the creator of all, God our Father? Or what if we compare that to Christ our Savior, who although he was God, made himself a man and sacrificed himself for us? Isn't it easier for us to be humble 
if when we make decisions, we look at Christ in that way and God in that way? I think that it is. What about like the story of Peter on the night that Jesus died? What about the times when we have the best intentions? But the reality of what happened to Peter that night, when Jesus told him he was going to deny him, Peter did one thing, and this is a mistake, and I would say that every one of us could make this mistake. Peter had faith in himself before he had faith in Jesus. That's really what happened there. Peter said, I know I'll never, I know you're saying you'll, I'll never, uh, you're saying I'm going to do that. I'm never going to do that. I have faith that I won't do that. But yet, he knew who Christ was, and Peter had faith in himself before he had faith in Christ. So, if that's the kind of temptation that we have, maybe that's the perspective that we should have. Perspective that we should have faith in Christ. Who knows what he's talking about first? And finally, I started out with four stories, and the last one was the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, we don't know a whole lot about that, and I have to assume, because like, I assumed a few things when I told the story earlier, but I think that to be able to sell land, they had to have something. Um, I don't know that they would have been Christians had they not had some sincerity, but it seems that they wanted the people to think more of them than what they had really done. They, they wanted to be special. Maybe they were trying to gain uh, some type of hierarchy within the group that was starting to meet as Christians. I don't really know. But what I do know is that they slipped into vanity. They wanted to be seen as being more holy and more righteous and better than they really were. And we can do the same thing. So in all these ways, we should be cautious as we exercise our free will.